This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to the Mom and Mind podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On our episode today, we are joined by Jigna Patel. She is sharing her experience through having fertility issues while having PCOS, being undiagnosed with postpartum psychosis, only to find out years later that that's what she was actually dealing with at the time, the struggles of having surprise twin pregnancy, and the cultural stigma that some South Asian moms might feel in relation to mental health. After she found out what she had been dealing with all those years ago and in her second postpartum, she began to learn more and volunteer for Postpartum Support International in various ways. I'm so grateful that she is sharing her story with us. Let's meet Jigna. Welcome, Jigna. Thank you for being with us. Hi there. Thank you, Dr. Kat. I'm so excited to be here today. I got to meet you in person at the PSI conference recently, which was so nice. Glad you were able to be there and we can meet in person. Sometimes I don't ever meet people that I talk, talk to on here. Right, so. right. But certainly us PSI folks, we run across each other at conferences. So anyways, I'm really grateful that you uh, want to come on and share your story and your experience. So I invite you to start wherever you'd like. Okay. So nine years ago, I got pregnant and my husband and I had been planning for a while but it didn't happen. I had PCOS, which was undiagnosed. Mm. And I decided to, after a year of naturally trying, being told I had PCOS, went through fertility. The doctor said, let's do one IUI and go from there. Mm. So did one IUI and I got pregnant right away. The whole pregnancy was really healthy and happy, had you know a lot of support. My husband works a lot. So that was the only thing that stressed me out was how am I gonna, you know, do everything once the baby's here. But I had mom, my mom in law. And um, then came the birth, I was three days over my due date. So they decided to induce me on the date of the induction, I was supposed to go in a little bit later. But that morning, I didn't feel that great. So we just went in right away. Mm -hmm. I didn't have contractions. I just had a really weird gut feeling and my back hurt a little bit. 
And we get to the hospital and my OB wasn't available. She had an emergency in her family. So I had a, you know, a brand new doctor to deliver me. So as they're setting me up for the induction, I guess they started to monitor the baby's heart rate and it started to drop. Mm -hmm. So within the early hours that I got there that morning, they decided to go ahead and give me an emergency Mm C-section. And my husband and I were there, you know, my parents were about an hour away, my family and friends, we had just told them to come by the evening. I didn't know how long the labor was going to be. And the whole time when they were prepping me for the C-section, the baby's heart rate just kept dropping, dropping, dropping. Mm. So my husband's face, they weren't telling me anything was all I could see. I saw the worry, the stress and the fear. And then they gave me anesthesia, but there wasn't enough time for it to kick in. So I felt the whole C-section, the tugging, the pulling. And the whole time I'm crying during the C-section and I'm telling my husband, I'm telling the doctor, I'm feeling too much. Can you guys stop? And they're like, no, we have to save the baby. Her cords wrapped around two times and, you know, she's like not breathing and oh, you know she's oh her heart rate's not there so and that's the first time they told me everything uh-huh. but leading up to it I didn't know and so I had my baby luckily she was fine but I felt the whole procedure oh, and then as gosh. soon as they took me after they you know patched me back up and cleaned me up and they took me into my recovery room and my family and friends started to visit a few hours later one of my best friends was like it was my birthday two days before. So she had seen a picture that I had sent her of my husband and I had gone out to lunch. And she was like, look at this picture and look at you now. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, why do you look so drained? And your color is gone. Your eyes have sunken in and you just don't look right. And are you okay? I was like, I'm not okay. This is what just happened. Yeah. And she's like, I just can't believe how different you look. And there were so many signs. Now as a more informed you know, maternal mental health specialist, I see the signs. There was the sign of having PCOS, of going to a fertility doctor, of having a pregnancy full of stress and worry, and then this traumatic birth. All of it were signs that I missed, that family and friends missed, Mm -hmm. that providers that I spoke with also missed. And all of this I see now could have somewhere been a conversation started to that have been different from my first three, four months after birth. So I went home with the baby and within the first two weeks, I fell into severe depression. Mm -hmm. Um, I started to cry all day, stay in bed. I didn't want to do nothing with Mm -hmm. my baby. Mm -hmm. Both my moms were there. So they just said, okay, you need to rest and recover. You had an emergency C-section you had not been planning for. We'll take care of the baby. Okay. So I started to feel a little bit relief with that. But at the same time, at the end of two weeks, they were like, okay, now you've just been in bed for two weeks and you don't have any interest in your child. What now? What now? Mm. So that should have been another sign. I felt a lot of cultural pressure, a lot of stigma of how they raised their kids. They were there to help me, but they gave me two weeks and then they were pretty much just advising me and hoping I would get out of my funk as we called it in those early days. Okay. And as time progressed, the next thing that started was postpartum anxiety. I would wake up every day with panic attacks and like heart pounding, palpitating, can't breathe. I had never experienced panic attacks in my life. And I was just like, this is like, I can't breathe. I would have to like sprint in my house. I wouldn't go for walks. I wouldn't do anything. I would just like wait for 20 minutes before it subsided. So Mm -hmm. The depression and anxiety were there together ongoing pretty much three, four weeks past. The other thing that happened is I stopped sleeping. I was sleeping a few hours here and there, and then it went less and less and less. And I think 
about 20 to 25 days passed where I didn't sleep at all. At all. I would be just lying there and I would like start to fall asleep and wake up again. Mm. And I'd I'd sleep for like 15, 20 minutes and wake up again, Mm -hmm. whether it was at night, during the day. And that is when the hallucinations and delusions and all the intrusive thoughts and suicidal thoughts started. And in this whole time, I'm sharing stuff with my husband, one of my best friends, my sisters. And I had a really good friend that was like, you need to get on medication. At the end of one month, she was Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's too much anxiety. Just get on Zoloft, ask your GP. And I said, I was so against medication. I had no idea, you know, what the situation would be like. I couldn't breastfeed. I wasn't even worried about that, but I just didn't have enough knowledge. And so then eventually the only thing I decided to do was go to a therapist. And so then I started the journey with a therapist. But in the meantime, at home, my mom-in-law had to leave and my mom was just in and out Mm -hmm. and I could not be alone with the baby. There were times at night that I'd be walking with her, feeding her, and I would imagine hitting her head against my four poster bed Mm -hmm. or hitting her head against the wall. One day my husband was home. Um, He worked a lot, but whenever he was home, he would be like, go for a drive, go for a walk. I was on a drive on my local highway and I had vivid imaginations, like vivid images of my car flying over the freeway. Mm -hmm. And I called my sister immediately and I was like holding onto the wheel. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do this, if I should do this, but something is telling me to do this. And Mm -hmm. she was like, okay, stay on the phone with me, go home. And I was like, no, I want to do this. And so I had never had suicidal thoughts before. So I didn't know if they were real, if those, what did I really wanted? She guided me home. And once I got home, I told my husband what happened. And he's like, okay, we're going to move you in with your parents. So my two month old baby and I, we moved in with my parents an hour away uh, Mm -hmm. from where I lived. My husband stayed behind because our business was near where we lived. Mm -hmm. And so that was really hard, you know, saying bye to the life I thought I was going to have. Yeah. And um, it was really hard for him as well. But at home, once I got home, my mom and my sister, they just took over. They were like, okay, you go see your therapist, you work on yourself, we'll take care of your baby. At this point, were how, I guess, aware were you that you weren't like yourself, feeling like yourself? At that point, I was finally realizing that this was definitely some sort of postpartum depression. I had a little bit of knowledge on it. Um, my sister who had a child 10 years before she had the baby blues. And I had so many people tell me, Mm. you know, this is not you. This is not like you. Like your behavior, how you were during that time was just a departure from who you normally were. 100%. Okay. I was usually very, I was so confident. My whole pregnancy, my husband was nervous. He's an only child. And I kept telling him, I helped my sister raise my nephew. I was with her when he was three months. I know about all the different things with little babies, you know, I mean, and in general, I'm a very organized type A person. So every, and we had planned for everything. And mm-hmm. it just, as soon as all my symptoms started, I was weak. I was forgetful. I had no hope. Mm-hmm. I just kept crying and worrying. Am I going to be myself again? When is mm-hmm. it going to get better? Am I going to love my baby? I would see my sister playing with my three month old baby on her lap and calling her nicknames. And I'm like, I didn't even know I was like, is that my baby or is that your baby? I was like, Mm. I have no desire to do what you're doing. And I don't have a nickname for her yet. And you do. Mm -hmm. And the whole time, of course, the guilt and the confusion of like, I don't know what I'm meant for. Like, is this, I wasn't supposed to do this. Why did we do this? And Mm. so, you know, those three, four months, I stayed with my parents only six weeks. And in that time, I went on medication in the end. And I did see the therapist. 
uh, Zoloft really helped me. It kicked mm-hmm. in. And then within two weeks, I felt better. Not 100%, but the anxiety and the panic attacks. And then were you able after- to sleep at your parents' house? It came slowly. It mm-hmm. came slowly. I'd started meditation. I would do the sleep apps and they would tell you how to fall asleep. Yeah. So I tried everything. Um, mm-hmm. My sister, you know, at that time, she was available to help with my baby and with me. I mean, she was like, start journaling, start reading, go for walks. And, mm-hmm. you know, the whole time it was nice now that I think about that I had that. But in the moment, I was just like feeling so guilty, so horrible that I even had to rely on the family. Right. And so I was just looking for the day that I could move back home. And then when I did move back home, I was still on medication, starting to gain my confidence back, starting to get sleep again. And I didn't really enjoy my therapist too much. So slowly I stopped seeing her. And I would say it was about at five or six months that I finally felt when the baby was six months that I finally felt like myself a little bit. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this and we're going to keep moving forward. And when she turned a year old, is when I could say I was finally free of all the symptoms because mm. the anxiety was still here and there, depressive yeah. thoughts here and there. And I didn't want to have any more kids after that. But my husband was like, you know what? Let's have one more. Let's have one more. I didn't spend too much time thinking about those four to six months until I decided to get pregnant again. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to do a little bit of research about postpartum depression, anxiety, and whatever I went through. So I get pregnant again. Uh, we decided to go through the fertility route because it was um, I was much older and we did one more IUI and I got pregnant with twins. <laughs> not expected. And we were not going for that at all. Right. And I went into deep depression during the pregnancy this time. Yeah. And um, that whole pregnancy, while I was in depression, I was like, okay, I need a game plan. You know, mm-hmm. what am I going to do after I have these babies? Mm-hmm. Mentally, I need a game plan. Yeah, yeah. I have my team and I have everything else set up, but what about my mental health? And that's the first time that I decided to learn about PPD and PPA. And I just did it organically. And I set up like all my ducks in terms of like what I needed mentally. And um, after I had the babies, this time it was a super healthy C-section. It felt great. I got a new doctor, told him everything. Mm. You know, we were a team and he like, you know, all my fears in my first pregnancy, he helped me with all of that. And the delivery was amazing. I, when the twins came out, I felt completely opposite and looked opposite than I had four or five years before. Yeah. And then with the twins for three months, I struggled with depression and anxiety but I did not have any other symptoms. And it was around that time, that first year of their existence that I got involved looking into PSI. And when I was reading and researching all these different, you know, maternal mental health issues, I saw a webinar that talked about postpartum psychosis. And I think that was the turning point. I had just joined PSI as a volunteer Hmm. and I had a realization while watching the webinar that what I had, you know, nine years ago was also postpartum psychosis. Mm -hmm. And since then, it's been like something has just turned on to bring all that trauma back from years ago that I put away. And my healing has just started two years ago Mm -hmm. from what happened nine years ago. Wow. Um, And I joined PSI initially because I wanted to learn and read and just find out more. And then there was an opening for a volunteer position in, you know, one place. And then before you know it, I also join as a support group leader, then a peer mentor. And it just, you know, <laughs> every it. time, yeah, every time that I spoke to all the different staff members at PSI and I did some of the roles, 
I found myself healing and realizing and learning about everything I went through nine years ago, oh all that stuff that I had closed and didn't want to think about anymore. Right. And it's just been a whole, like the whole thing has come back in full circle. Yeah. And these last two years with PSI for the first time, especially through support groups, I'm finding a place to kind of reflect and, you know, forgive myself and also heal finally. Yeah. So, Oof, that, that's big. Yeah. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. If I can, I guess what in that webinar that you saw, what were the things that you heard about that made you realize it was postpartum psychosis? Some of the women shared their lived experiences and, um, you know, they talked about the hallucinations and the delusions, um, having thoughts of hurting their baby and hurting themselves, not sleeping, not wanting sleep. And then when they talked about, you know, having like hearing voices or losing their speech, that happened to me as well. Mm. Uh, When I had my baby nine years ago, my daughter, the months that I, the weeks that I spent in my parents' house, my sister would send me for walks. And when I would go for these walks outside, I would just look at everything. And there was one morning I couldn't talk. I couldn't even remember what I was looking at. And she would send my nephew at the time he was five. And so I was only allowed to walk a few houses down back and forth. And it was summer break for him. So he would come with me and I'd look at him and I'd be like, what is that? I'm like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I don't know what that thing is. And he's like, it's a tree. I'm like, a what? And at first I had a complete blank. Mm-hmm. And then second, I couldn't even say that word. And then all of a sudden, that was the that morning, everything became black and white. And that was the first time that I had stopped seeing color. 
And I, again, I asked my nephew, I was like, what color is it? He's like, it's green. And I'm like, God. and I couldn't talk. And in my mind, I, I was like, I see black and white. And then the only thing I could say to him was like, let's go. And then I rushed home and I got in the house and I just went in the room. And so whenever I was watching that webinar and similar and more other types of stories were shared, uh-huh. that's the scene that came back to me. And it was so scary. And that's oh, when I realized. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was going to ask it how that felt. It felt scary for you. It... Yeah, I couldn't talk. I couldn't see color. I didn't know what it was in front of me. Oh, my God. And after that is when more similar episodes happened. And that was around the time that I was like, okay, I'm going to get on some sort of, you know, Zoloft or some sort of medication. Yeah, it was after scenes like that. And so when I was listening to the webinar and I was hearing more of these stories, I was like, wow, that's like psychosis. And I thought that was depression. Mm -hmm. And when I told my therapist at the time, you know, she also just said depression. I was like, why did nobody say you had this very real illness? If I had known at the time, if somebody would have helped me figure that one out, you know, for sure. So yeah. So that first postpartum, or can you remind me again, like, how long were you in that state? Probably a good four months. That's yeah. a long time. Right so it's like my- people around you knew that something was going on. You yes. internally knew something was going on and you were, you were talking about it. And were you telling people about what your internal experience was? At that time, I wasn't. There uh-huh. were certain episodes like what I just described mm-hmm. that I didn't really tell too many people at that time. Mm-hmm. I think I told my, da- uh, my sister and my husband. Mm-hmm. And most of the time it was either just my husband or my sister that I would tell. There were a lot of things that I did not tell that I just shut off and closed and put away until two years ago. Wow. And I finally realized that a part of myself to finally accept and, you know, just let go and move on has been talking about it and sharing about it. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that I never thought I would really get from PSI or volunteering in this field is the advocacy part and the speaking up part. And so these last two years, this whole thing started with, I just want to help, even if it's just one woman or, hey, it helps me, right? And then before I knew it, I have learned this whole new world and the power of peer support and group support and advocating for yourself Mm -hmm. and educating yourself. Mm -hmm. And now when I talk to my moms in the support groups, that's something that I tell them. And I'm like, I didn't have that postpartum nine years ago or even four years ago when my twins were born. Right. I just wish I would have, you know, had one person in my medical professional team or even a friend or family at the time, you know, that could have, I discovered PSI on my own. I was up when my twins were about two years old and I was like, you know what? I want to know why did all this happen to me? And that's how I learned more and more about, you know, the different ways that you can get help besides therapy and medication, you know? Yeah. You had touched on just briefly, and I'd, I'd like to understand more on some potentially some cultural stuff connected to your mm-hmm. experience. Can you say more about that? Yeah. So I'm from India. I'm Indian. I've lived here. My family, we've all been, we've all been here since the 70s and 80s. But in our culture, you know, once a man and woman are married, they have kids, it's the woman. It's the woman who's going to raise the kids, whether she's working or not. It's the woman that's going to be there majority of the time. My husband and I, you know, we're, he was raised in England. So we both knew that we're not going to do that. We're going to, you know, he wanted to be a part of it. He wanted to be there. He's like, this is my child too. It'll be 50, 50. 
but we also live in a joint family with his parents. We also have my parents who were so involved and we had a business, so he couldn't physically be there. And so, you know, the cultural parts just came in naturally, even though we had told our parents, this is how we want to raise our kids. They couldn't help but say how they raised us, mm-hmm. you know, and how they had it and how they suggest it. And they were like, well, you know, it's all you, it's all you, you know, it's the mom, it's the mom at the end of the day, it's the mom. And that just bothered me, you know, because I'm like, no, it takes two to have kids. And my husband wants to be involved and he is when he can be. And it also set me up for more stress and worry that he wasn't there, you know, something that I didn't think much about Uh but that he couldn't be there, but because I was there, it had to be all me. And that's when I was like, well, no, this is why I have you guys, you know, it takes a village, it takes a team. And I'm not going to sit here and think I have to do this on my own. So culturally, you know, the grandparents had to learn and they did all these years. And I made a point Mm -hmm. to never, you know, just be quiet about it or not teach them about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, luckily they were willing to learn and break the stigma that they've had, you know, their whole life. And that was hard initially with my daughter, my nine years ago, my that birth, it didn't really catch on to them. But after I had the twins and years of kind of them seeing and learning about, you know, how other families and uh, people our age are doing it, they were like, okay, okay, we see what you're saying, you know. Mm-hmm. So culturally, you know, it's just, it's still that's how it's done in India. And um, things are changing, obviously, but a lot of families, you know, a lot of people my age that are of color, Indian, especially, we still feel that's pressure and that stigma, and especially because we have our moms, you know, there to tell us how they did it and how they think we should do it. Right. So. Okay. Right. So the pressure is there. I mean, it sounds like you, you know, you did a lot of educating too. I find that to be particularly difficult with them, um, adult children who are either first generation or close to it and who mm-hmm. have families who are more closely connected to like how things were done kind of back home is that that difficulty intraculturally right that it's hard there's no way around yeah. it it's just yeah. hard and you know and i for the longest was upset and used to blame all the grandparents but then i realized they couldn't help it they didn't know any different or any better you know and there were others down the line who they kind of put that pressure on but nobody said anything and then i came along and i'm like no 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 let's talk about this or this is how it should be or could be i didn't do it right away you know mm-hmm. until my older one was like one or two, because I mean, that first six months, I just let all of that help me or not help me. All of it hurt me even more. Mm -hmm. I couldn't speak up for myself at all those first four to six months. And I wish- Was that also related? I mean, clearly you were struggling, so it was related to what you were going through, but was there also a layer of stigma around mental health stuff in general? In general, exactly. Uh So, you know, there's the whole cultural aspect about how we should be how the mom raises the baby and the mom is the main person, even if the husband's there. And then it was the whole like, okay, well, you're feeling sad and upset, but that's okay. You know, just keep it going, keep moving. It happens to all of us. It happened to us. It's Mm -hmm. normal, but keep it going. And in general, speaking about these words, postpartum depression, anxiety, OCD, psychosis, they have no knowledge, no, like never even heard of it. Talking about going to a therapist, getting on medication, all of it was so like scary for yeah. my parents and my in-laws. And it, they all learned, you know, while well, I learned, <laughs> you know, I had a little bit of knowledge about it here and there, but not this much. Yeah, that 
is interesting. Again, it's like not the best word for this, but what you said that they were kind of scared by what was going on for you mentally, emotionally too. Did they ever talk to you about what it was like for them to be scared for you, be concerned about you? Yeah, we talked about it years later. So for my mom, you know, she was just like, I, she was like, I thought it was just something temporary. I thought you'd be feeling that way for a few weeks and you'd be okay. Because she's like, you're so confident. You're so, you always knew what you wanted. She's like, there was no way that was going to be you. And then she also said, she's like, I didn't know that there was other helps or other types of tools available for you. Besides, hey, we'll help you with the baby. You go sleep. You oh, go okay. down. Right. She's like, I didn't realize that you could go to a therapist and get on medication or, you know, do group therapy or go like do like meditation yoga. She's like, it didn't occur to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And then for my in-laws, they were the same way. They were like, you know, we didn't really think that you would feel this way when you wanted the baby and you and your husband like planned for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how can you like all of a sudden, and you had so much help and you had all of us, you right. know, and then how is it medical and how does it relate to like your hormones? Cause I was, trying to explain everything from A to Z the best I could, you know? So yeah, they had a lot of questions down the line, but initially they were just like, we don't get what's going on. It was so scary and unfamiliar. And it wasn't me. It was such a night and day Mm -hmm. that they were Mm -hmm. like, how could you just all of a sudden snap off? Like, why did that happen? You know? Yeah. Once you started to get more sleep, I assume you were coming back to yourself at that point. Yeah, I really do think that it was like the Zoloft helped with the anxiety that also helped with the sleep. And then I could start thinking again, the fog lifted and all of a sudden all the fears and worries and the drama that I had created in my head started to become lighter and less, you know? So yeah. Yeah. When the sleep came, it definitely, I could felt different. And to this day, so I had my twins four years ago Mm -hmm. and we struggled with sleep the first year and now they're, you know, they're four. So they're sleeping in their own rooms and Mm -hmm. they have some bad nights here and there, but I remember we sleep trained them with my older one. We never did. And so with my twins, after we sleep trained them and I told my husband, I was like, Oh, this is what it feels like you know, to be with it and productive when you have enough sleep, you know, right. And it's a whole nother day that you can have, you know, compared to when you are on no sleep. Yeah. 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 It's wild how much sleep impacts our brains yes. and our bodies. It, it's hard to really understand that the depth and intensity, unless you felt it. Yes of that sleep deprivation. And we're not talking like one or two nights you don't get sleep. This is weeks and months. Right. It just pushes you to like the edge of like, for you, it sounds like your experience of reality of like what everybody else considers reality around you. Yeah. I make sleep a priority, a huge priority now to this day, because I still have toddlers and they're up all the time. And so I get my naps in where I need to. I, you know, call it an early night when I need to. I mean, it's part of my self-care daily. <laughs> yeah, it really, it should be for everybody. But once you've had that kind of experience, there's, you got to be really, I mean, you're more aware of how on top of it yes. your body needs it to be. Yeah. Right. Right. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. 
I am Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where-are-my-keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where-are-my-kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're, Amy, more of a we-were-supposed-to-leave-35-seconds-ago mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. So... The other experience that has really stayed with me is when I was pregnant with the twins, I was depressed the whole pregnancy because I didn't want them. And I doubted myself as a mom and how am I going to do this? I only wanted one to begin with, agreed to have another one, knowing how much my husband wanted one. And my daughter at the time was four and she so badly wanted a sibling. And so the whole pregnancy, I struggled with so much guilt and shame and sadness And also frustration at myself because how could I not want these babies that I was growing? And how am I going to be okay with raising them? And how am I going to fall in love with them? And so I had them. And the first three, four months after I had them, it was just going in the motions. It was just doing the motions. At the same time, something, as it always clicks with your child, with your children when they're born, I... All that stuff that I felt during the pregnancy started to disappear. It was still here, Mm. but not where, like with my daughter, when I had her, my single one, nine years ago, I didn't want anything to do with her for months. With the twins, day one, I'm like, I want them. Give them to me. I want to be with them. I want to do everything I need to do for them. And I had, you know, my parents helping me. I I moved in with my parents right away because that was part of the plan. I created a whole, like, post-birth plan because I was so nervous about being severely depressed afterwards. And so that was part of the plan that I would have the babies and move in with my family and I would have their help from the get-go. And my older one was with my in-laws at my house and she would come on the weekends with my husband. And so with the twins, like it was just so interesting how that happened. But the whole time as I'm doing everything for them and loving it and enjoying it, I still am struggling with anxiety and a little bit of, you know, sleep issues and depression. And the biggest thing I'm struggling with is the guilt that, oh my God, I spent my whole pregnancy not wanting them and they are amazing and I'm bonding with them and I'm in love. And it's exactly how it should have been when it nine years ago and how it is now. So that experience, it was just baffling. And so one of the first things that happened is when I joined PSI as a volunteer, uh, I became a support group leader for parents of multiples. 
And I've been that support group leader for the last year. And the first few months, I kid you not how many women I met that said the same things. These women were either pregnant with twins or just had their twins. And it was really interesting because there were a couple of meetings where that particular topic never came up. And then once I shared it, it just kept coming up and up Mm -hmm. and up. And for the first time I told my group, I was like, I feel relief because I haven't closed that chapter yet of feeling that sadness and guilt that I didn't want them, but oh my God, I love them. And they were like, oh my God, you too. And so that has been one of the highlights of being that support group leader for that group is Mm -hmm. finding closure and just having each other to realize that we're not bad moms. It doesn't define us. It didn't mean that we don't love them or didn't want the babies. Having twins or multiples is a whole nother type of, you know, thing that comes with parenting and all the change. And um, whether you, and a lot of these moms were not uh, expecting twins Mm -hmm. and it was surprise twin pregnancies, so many similar stories. Mm -hmm. And some of them wanted them, but still, you know, once they came, couldn't manage and didn't like the change of life. And so that was one thing that I didn't even know that I needed closure and healing on. And this whole last year with my support groups, I'm getting it. And it's amazing the feeling of knowing that we're all in it together. It just makes it like, okay, I'm not a bad person. (laughs) You know, it happens to the best of us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just wish we could never feel like that. You know, that anybody has to feel like they're a bad person for going through something like that. And that we're supposed to live this like prescribed happiness life of, you know, that we're just happy with everything. It's yeah, uh, no, that's not how it works. So that, yeah, it's awesome that there's that mutual connection in there and that group. And I, th- I think it's, thank you for sharing it too, because it's I think important for people to understand on multiple levels. One, we as people, providers, professionals, quote unquote, like, yeah, we're that, but we're human. We have our own experiences. So I think it's helpful for other people to know that. But that like we are, those of us who've been through this or anything like it are still healing. There are parts that still, even for me, I'm 13 years out for the first time I experienced it. I still get stuff that comes up where I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that little nugget (laughs) there needs some attention. And it's a journey, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's cool that you're able to share in that healing with people you're supporting. You know, and again, I had no idea that I would enjoy support group therapy or support group peer support so much. Yeah. And yeah, it has done wonders for me. And I am I came on as a leader, but I'm sitting there and listening to these stories and hearing all this vulnerability from these women. And again, it just unites all of us. And yeah. we're... And, at the same time, the whole like, am I meant for this? Am I a good mom? You know, do my kids deserve this? All of that is just like, finally leaving me, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I'm like, Oh, my God, I love my children so much. And (laughs) whatever I've gone through has just been that is just stuff I had to go through. You know, I used to equal that to being a bad mom, or I wasn't meant for this. Mm -hmm. But I'm finally like letting that part go. (laughs) That's great. That's such yeah, we don't need that kind of 
baggage yeah. to <laughs> carry around yeah. that emotional stuff. It's and that's so, so when hard. I talk to some of these moms in my support group and they've, they're just a few weeks out, a few months out. I'm like, I've been living with this for years. Please don't do this. Yeah, you yeah, know? Right, right, I was right. like, let me tell you, like, uh-huh. try your best, but you don't need to live with it for years. For sure. If I can go back a little bit too, just to the part where you were talking about like kind of it, for your, with your first child, like not feeling connected or not wanting to connect. I know that's another experience that a lot of people mm-hmm. have. And for some people, it's um, getting connected, getting uh, bonded is an active process. And for some people, it just happens over time. For other people, it's like a mix. For you, what was that like? No, for my older one, I mean, I just couldn't, because of all the postpartum mental health issues that I was going through and just the stop in my brain, you know, like the cloud. I mean, I just couldn't get myself to bond with her, to connect with her. Even when I got on the medication and, you know, the fog lifted and like she was six months, seven months, eight months. I mean, it was way after she was a year old that I finally felt like a connection with her. And that was another thing that I struggled with because mm-hmm. like, how is this possible, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, you know, as more time passed, you know, the connection and the bonding grew, but that initial six months to a year where I wasn't connected or bonded to her, it still stayed with me for a mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. And now that I have something to compare it to, because with the twins, I felt bonded right away. Mm-hmm. I still wonder about that part. And I know why I was that way nine years ago. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's really interesting that it took so long uh, for me to eventually feel like, okay, you know, and and then when I was, when I was trying the bonding and the connecting, as I got sleep, and as the medication came into effect, again, it was just motions. I don't know if I truly felt it Mm -hmm. until much later. And Mm -hmm. I, I have memories of like, when she turned one and two and in three and in between, things that happened where I was like, Oh my God, you know, where you feel that little pull in your heart that I'm like, I didn't, I didn't have that before for her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I'm just like, I knew it had to happen sometime, but you know, uh, it's just, I know the difference now. So Mm -hmm. I, that's something I do question sometimes that even after I started to feel better mentally, um, the bonding came much later. We almost started parent. I feel like her and I, our parenting journey did not start until she was let's say six to eight months. To me, that's when she was born. Right. And that's right. when I was reborn. And so we've always been six to eight months up to a year behind. I feel. Yeah. That's just how, that's when I was finally awake yeah. and there for it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's quite a process. I think it's also good for people to know that it does happen, even with yes. that initial feeling of disconnection or not feeling like it bonded in that way, it can grow over time, like other relationships do. You get closer and understand them and they get to understand you and all of that. And the the connection can grow. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. So I know that you're uh, just love that you're working with PSI and, you know, involving yourself in this way in the the cause and advocacy and everything. What, What all are you doing within PSI and beyond? in terms of uh, work in the perinatal world? So, you know, like I said, when I first started with PSI two years ago, it was me just researching and learning about different types of perinatal mental health issues. And then the first role that I started was a local Houston support coordinator. Mm -hmm. So if moms connect with the helpline and, you know, if there's a mom in my Houston area, they put me in touch with her and I help her find resources locally. 
Uh, so that's the first way I got involved. And so it was just a little bit of chatting back and forth with moms and giving them some advice and some resources and just kind of leading them to different paths that might help them. And then the second way I got involved was the support groups. And I started off just as a support group leader for parents of multiples. And then recently, I just started as a co-facilitator for survivors of psychosis. So that's another support group that I just started helping with. And then after that, I also joined the peer mentor program. I was enjoying the connection with these women so much. So I found out about the peer mentor program where you're paired with somebody for six months and you talk to them once a week and, you know, kind of hear their story and you share your story and just, you know, like be a little bit of a support of add more to their village. So I've been doing that for the last year too. met some amazing women and felt some really great connections and more closure, I guess you could say, with all of these experiences. Mm -hmm. And then um, the recent thing I also started was the I'm on the postpartum psychosis task force. Once I diagnosed myself and I learned about psychosis, I just wanted to learn more. And mm -hmm. so I reached out and got involved with the task force. And through them, I was able to get into some storytelling projects and some digital storytelling projects and um, to share my the specific psychosis story. That's the first time that I learned about advocacy and what that means and how can I, you know, do it in my own way. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the different ways that I've been involved with PSI and um, all of them is teaching me. So now when I talk to my moms, I call them my moms, you know, <laughs> whenever I talk to any of these uh, women that I'm a volunteer for is I tell them that educate yourself about your symptoms, your conditions and speak up to all of your medical providers, someone. So I, I forgot to mention an important thing. Um, my pediatrician nine years ago, when I went in for my daughter's six week checkup, she was the only medical provider at the time who was like, I think you might have PPD. Mm. So, and it was because I was telling her, you know, and I was telling her and I was telling my OB and I was telling my GP, but she was the first one to be like, can I assess you for it? And I'm like, oh, okay, what do I have to do? She's like, fill out these five questions. I totally forgot about that. And that was so important to me. And she's yeah. still my twins pediatrician and my daughter's pediatrician. So That's I tell her awesome. all the time. So that was part of um, the things. So I always tell the moms that speak up to all your medical providers. Somebody will be like, okay, hold on. Red flag. We want to assess you, evaluate you and get you some further help. Um, and then, yeah. And then the third thing that I always tell my moms is look into group support and peer support. There's so much power in being with each other and talking and sharing and learning from each other. Again, something I didn't have nine years ago. And mm -hmm. I, all of this would have just made a difference in my postpartum journey and, um, you know, would have helped in different ways. And so that's something that I have learned through PSI, <laughs> you know, like all of these things, uh, once I joined and I just saw the amount of resources that were available you know, for moms and most of them free, all of them free, really. And, and, you know, there's like, there's no way that something will not work or click. There's something available that can help you and get you in the right direction. If not, you know, directly, then get you going where you need to be in your local city. I feel like that's the message that I want to keep giving. And that's another reason why I, I keep going with PSI. And through all of this, I have changed, you know, my mind on what I want to do with the rest of my life. My background is in public relations, events, we have our own small business. But these last two years, I'm like, no, I'm going to go back to school, get a, you know, uh, my master's in counseling, I want to work with women, I'm 
you know, applying for my certification uh, with perinatal mental health within PSI. Nice. And um, I started volunteering for a local Houston hospital. And they're interested in me coming on board as a, you know, perinatal mental health advisor and coordinator. And so it's finally all coming into place. And I'm just thankful that, you know, I took what PSI had to offer and just went with it and continue to go with it. And I'm thankful that I finally found all of this, you know. Yeah, it's awesome. And so important to know that healing can happen anytime. Yes. It doesn't have to be right when it's happening, although that'd be great to get the help during that time. But really, like, there's still so much healing available, even if it happened years ago. Yeah. It's really, really important. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your story and your passion. It just comes through so clearly how invested you are in helping other people who are going through stuff like this. Thank, thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. I appreciate it. And people like you inspired me and all so many people in PSI have inspired mm-hmm. me. And I feel like I didn't think I could do this work. And I didn't know if I had, you know, the experience or the knowledge or the credentials, but I have the lived experience in the heart. And, you know, I just don't, too many moms are suffering. Absolutely. Yeah. We all need to just come into, you know, together to provide each other whatever resources and help we can, because motherhood, you know, can be different. And if it's not, then whatever you're going through, you can be helped. You don't have to stay in it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Kat. Please do connect with Jigna on Instagram at Jigna525. And certainly she went over a lot of the support services that PSI offers. But if you are looking for either support yourself or you're looking to get into volunteer work or advocacy, you can go to postpartum.net and look into the support groups that PSI offers, as well as many of the other free resources. Please come and find me on Instagram at mom and mind, like, and share those posts and also like, and share this podcast. And this is the best way to help support the work that I'm doing here and to ensure that more and more people get access and learn about this podcast as a resource. Thank you so much for being with us until next time. Please find the mom and mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at mom and mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.